oh my god, I just totally broke out in sweat because I heard something downstairs and Justin just got home and I was like, oh my god, someone's gonna kill me and I'm gonna be recording this fucking podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we're not going to heaven, but you might be. Our Holy Spirit of the day is champagne, kind of, because it is our 10th episode extraordinaire, which is super exciting. However, I don't have champagne, and Tara can't get the lid off of hers, so we're having Truly, and Heather is having a bottle of champagne, which God bless. (laughs) With a side of Smirnoff. (laughs) (laughs) With a side of Smirnoff, yes. God bless. Listen, it counts if it's bubbly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. if you guys hear a random, like, pop in the middle of this recording, it's going to be me finally fighting with this bottle of champagne to get this weird, cheapo Aldi cork off. It means Tara won. Yeah. (laughs) I opened that bitch. This is literally God telling me to stop being so cheap and buying my booze from Aldi. (laughs) And, like, you could have gone to the liquor store, Tara. It was a special occasion. Would have gotten one with a real cork. Yeah, and I was like, not today, sir. (laughs) We are on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And join our Facebook group, Holy Spirits the Podcast. And you can always reach us at holyspiritspodcast at gmail.com. So today we are talking about Abraham. Not Abraham Lincoln, just the first Abraham. What do you guys know about Abraham? A lot. Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> get it? Did you see what we did there? Did you understand our pun? Did you get it? No. What? <laughs> oh, lot. Like lot. Okay. No, I, <laughs> I know that he's like the father of our people. Yeah. 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 That's all I know. And that he did oh, something with a dude named Lot. And so when I was asking Clay what we should name this, he was like, I don't know, something about them knowing each other. And so then I Googled what's a pun about Abraham? And that's (laughs) what I came up with. Abraham. Abraham. He knew a lot. He knew a lot. (laughs) With no context of knowing who the fuck lot is. (laughs) I think they fight or something. And I seriously do not know a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Literally and figuratively. Yeah. 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 Okay. We are going to get to lot, but he is going to be way bigger in the second part of Abraham. So we're talking about Abraham part one today and then Abraham part two next time, just because there's, there's a lot to talk about for, for our our little guy, Abraham. So we're going to do this kind of in episodes. The, the chapters of Genesis are not like one fluid story. It's very kind of episodic. Uh, And so we're going to kind of do bit, 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 if that makes sense. (laughs) She got it! Suck it, Aldi! Suck it, Aldi! Take that for the win! (laughs) (laughs) No man! Oh my god. By the way, I just wanted the world to know it wasn't a pop top. It was a twist top and I wasn't strong enough <laughs> at first. I had to loosen it for about 45 minutes, it seems like. But you did it. But you Way did it. Way to persevere, Tara. Yes, you did. I didn't give up. Take that, children. This drink is for you. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, All right. Tara. Cheers, Cheers remotely. Clean. Oh, yeah. <sighs> That's, That's what mama wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, 
Abraham is like super important in this weird kind of low key way, right? Like when you talk about Christianity, everybody knows Jesus and Adam and Eve being the creation story. Like that's obviously everywhere. People don't really talk about Abraham in like pop culture, but the big three monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they all are collectively known as the Abrahamic religions because they all recognize Abraham as like the shit. They view him as kind of the progenitor. Like Adam was the first man. Noah like talked to God and like avoided an extinction event. But Abraham is the one where it's like, he's not just there. It's that God actually likes him and God likes the people that come from him compared to Noah, where he was like, I guess you don't totally suck. And actually later, later in the Bible, people will say the God of Abraham to mean like Yahweh God. Like you, people will say, you know, I worship God, which God? Oh, the God of Abraham, because Abraham and God are so closely associated with each other. Hmm. He's also the reason specifically that there is a relationship between God and the Jewish people. So we'll talk a little bit about covenants and the, the way that that works in the Judeo-Christian kind of traditions. And Jewish people do see themselves as literally and figuratively descended from Abraham. So he's kind of the first Jew and they, they literally feel that he is in their ancestry. And so that kind of legitimacy and relationship with God kind of goes back over many centuries. Okay. In Christianity, he's not so much of a big deal. He's more like the prototypical believer He's like, he has faith and you're supposed to have faith like him. Like, that's the kind of angle. In Islam, it, they kind of have a little bit more of a Jewish-like perspective on him where they believe themselves to be spiritually descended. But also, it's understood that one of Abraham's descendants is the ancestor of all the Arabians. And of course, Islam originated in Arabia. So there's kind of an understanding there that there's an ancestry link too. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. So either you need to, either he's like the father of all Jews or he's like the best believer ever in God. Right. Exactly. Yes. And for Islam, he's kind of both. He's also the patron saint of the hospitality industry. I don't know why I put that in my notes. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Are you going to tell us why? Um, no, I'm not because I did not put that in my notes. Part of the reason why I questioned it. <laughs> but That's now I really, really want to know. Well, and listen, I don't really get patron saints that well. And I feel like it would be a whole other episode if I tried to get into it. But yes, so Abraham is the first, we call them patriarchs of really, there are three patriarchs that really matter. And so this is what we call the patriarchal age. And so from Abraham until we get to the 12 tribes of Israel, we're talking about the patriarchal age. And in many traditions, he's also the first kind of monotheist. So that's kind of my religious intro. I do want to say, too, that remember how the Bible is really notorious for being really weird about, like, sex and reproduction? Yeah. Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where's this going? Abraham is like a really good example of that. Like we're really gonna, it's gonna get weird. In in the first part, it only is like a little weird. In the second part, it's gonna get like super fucking weird. Ooh, intrigued. Tell me. This is what I like. Give me the Jerry Springer shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, real fast before we get into his birth and name, a little bit of like actual history. 
I know I said that we're primarily going to be talking characters and not so much history, but I do have to do a little history, so bear with me. I mean, would it really be you telling us a story if we didn't get something? That is true. Well, and also, every time we have an episode, we talk about whether or not the characters in question are real or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So So we have to go there. It's tradition. So... People used to think that Abraham and the other big Israelite patriarchs, again, we're currently in the patriarchal age, people thought they lived around 2000 BCE and that they were either real people or at least composites of real people. By composites, I mean like if I say a founding father, you have something immediately in your mind. It's some white asshole. He's a man. He's wearing a white powdered wig. He's wearing the 1700s garb. He says something about liberty. He talks in really weird words because we don't speak that dialect of English anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea is if Abraham was not a real person, then there were about four or five people or however many people, and each of them did a little bit, and then we kind of smushed them all together. Right. In the 1970s, the scholarship kind of thought maybe it wasn't 2000 BCE, maybe it's more like 800 to 500 BCE, but like nowadays people think that they're just mythical stories. They probably existed for hundreds of years, they probably existed in an oral tradition long before they were ever written down. So it is possible that Abraham was a real person, but it's super unlikely that he was anything like what we're talking about now. Honestly, I don't think he was real. That just Ooh, me of another thing that I know about him. What What do you know about him? What? what? That his name's not really Abraham. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to be talking about that too. And so therefore Abraham didn't exist. Ooh. That is a hot take, but you know what? That's why we're here. Yep. Just saying. I don't know why his name wasn't Abraham, but it's all lies. That's what I'm taking from this. Anyway. Anyway, these oral traditions probably got written down around 500 BCE. So even if you think that Abraham was a real person, the story about him would not have been written down until centuries after he died. And if you really believe that he lived like 2000 BCE, then it would be 1500 years after he died that the story would be written down. So we're talking about crazy time spans that it's just not realistic that the details like were very stable. Anyway, I did discover a really interesting thing about how the book of Genesis and other Hebrew scriptures were probably written because the Persians took over Judea, because the Persians had a really strict legal code, and so they needed things to be written down so the legal code could be a part of the Persian Empire. I'm not going to get into that because I am rising above. <laughs> Good for you, Mike. So That's proud. right. Yeah. Okay, boring stuff out of the way. Let's, let's dig into him. Uh, So his birth name, Tara is right, his name is not Abraham. He is not born with the name Abraham. His birth name is Abram. Oh, well, not a big change. (laughs) I mean, right. (laughs) But guess what his father's name was? What? His father is nine generations removed from Noah. So Noah says great, 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 whatever. But his father's name is Tara. God, (gasps) yes. No. Just became an episode of Maury and Tara. You are the father. Oh, Tara! I just want to thank everyone that has brought me to this moment of being a forefather in the Bible, because <laughs> Lord knows this is what I've worked my life for. <laughs> here, here. Was I good? Was I bad? Was I just a spectacle? What? <laughs> Uh, Tara doesn't really seem to have a lot of characterization. Also, his name is spelled T-E-R-A-H. 
So it's Terach. Terach. That's like but, the counterpart. Yeah. So what you're telling me is, is that I get to write a story. Yes, absolutely. You get to write fan fiction. There are a couple of other kind of extra biblical traditions about Terra that he uh, worked making idols, like the the things that pagans worshipped that Jews and Christians really don't like, and Muslims too. So that's not awesome. But other than that, it's pretty loose. So I'm a whittler. Well, and you, he worked for the king, which is also significant. So he, you were like a, a fancy whittler. You're so fancy. Terach. All right. Terach. So Abram has two brothers, but they are not particularly major for our purposes. One of the brother's sons is named Lot. So Lot is Abram's nephew. He does matter, as as you mentioned before. Okay, okay. So they probably live in a place in the Bible. They call it Ur of the Chaldees, which is probably the ancient Mesopotamian city of Ur, um, I, I referred to it really briefly in our Pontius Pilate episode. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. And of course, it's it's in Iraq. The Chaldeans, like the Chaldeans didn't control Ur until about the 600s BCE. So again, there's like a dating problem. So they live in this big bustling city. Terra, according to the tradition, he worshiped the Sumerian Akkadian moon goddess Nana, who is the patron deity of Ur. That sounds about right. Yeah. I co-sign that. Yeah, you know, if, if you like the moon, if you like ladies, if you like patron deities. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I'm super into the ladies, but, you know, I'm into it. You're into the, like, feminist power energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Cleopatra. No. So Abram marries a woman named Sarai. Sarai becomes Sarah in the way that Abram becomes Abraham. So if I slip up and call Sarai Sarah... Please forgive me. Mm-hmm. You are forgiven. She is apparently infertile, which is extremely relevant to the story. But she's supposed to be this hugely important woman in history. She's the matriarch to Abram's patriarchy. But in my opinion, like it'll be interesting to see what you guys think, because I feel like she gets super uh, shafted in this story. Like I feel like she doesn't really get to live up to her full potential. Genesis apparently has a really high concentration of women compared to other books of the Bible. Sarai is a really good example of a super important one who is still very vague and who still isn't particularly powerful, even though she is supposed to be one of the most powerful women in the Bible. Hmm. But I mean, that said, Abram seems to listen to her and respect her. So uh, some people actually think that she may be a Mesopotamian priestess archetype. Uh, So a privileged, rich woman with a lot of status. It's kind of unclear, of course, if she was actually a priestess or not. So she might, you know, maybe she had religious duties or whatever. Obviously, if she's not real, then we can't ever really nail it down. But at at the very least, she kind of fits this pattern of, of a very powerful woman with very important ceremonial roles. And if she is a priestess, then it's interesting that Abram is a monotheist. So she's literally sacrificing her gods and her religious status to be with him, which would be an interesting kind of sacrifice. And one you would do for love. One you would do for love. She's a good example of a woman who is socially inferior, but important for the way that things change over time. So in my opinion, she's... A really good example of how the patriarchy feels like women should be. 
we think of oppression as the handmaid's tale, like women aren't allowed to talk or read. But in reality, it's much more like cut down on them little by little. And we think of the misogyny that we see in the world as we want to erase women from history. But it's like, the misogynists do feel like women can be in history. It's just that they can only be in history in the roles that the misogynists feel like they are able to occupy. Like really, you like in this very limited scope, you're able to make history. And that's kind of it. And so I feel like that that's really the place where Sarai goes. I don't feel like she's a, a real feminist character in the Bible, even though she, you know, really could be. But, um, but she is still very present and very, very powerful in her own right. I'm interested to learn more about her. Yeah, me too. Also, apparently she's hot. It's like very relevant to the story that she's hot. Oh, lower came mm, in. Good for you, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Go, girl. So Terah, Abram, Sarai, and Lot, they leave Ur. They're going towards the land of Canaan. It's kind of unclear why they're leaving. Um, don't worry about it. But on the way to Canaan, which is modern day Israel, they take a break and they settle down at this place called Haran. And that's where Tara dies at 205 years old. Yeah. So that's as much as we get of Tara. Okay. Well, it was a short run, but I liked it. You know what? Honorable mention. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so one of the reasons why people think they might've gone to Haran is that Haran was also a cult center for Nana. So that same moon deity, they might've gone there so that they could worship the moon deity. And then Terra dies. Well, now Abram is the head of the family and Abram has a really close relationship with Yahweh, with God. So Yahweh. it's Yahweh. been a long time since we've talked about Yahweh. I feel like. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah, for sure. Do you want to just like stop and, and say his I name know. a few times? I'm just like, welcome back, Yahweh. It's been a while. Get a, <laughs> get a cocktail. Sit That's down. Old friend. <laughs> Good to have you back. So apparently God had said to Abram that he would make a nation of him, that he would make him great and blah, blah, blah. And so when Abram is 75, he takes Sarai and Lot to Shechem, which is in Canaan. Again, that's, that's Israel. And God is like, this is the place. Congrats. Your descendants are going to love it. You better measure for furniture. And there are Canaanites who live here, but remember that Noah cursed Canaan. So fuck these people. Oh, that's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. So Abram is basically taking a tour of a house that he knows is going to get foreclosed on. So he is going around building these altars to God, and these apparently become sacred places for early Judaism. So yeah, I guess the Canaanites in this time, like in this part of the story, are just kind of milling about ignoring him like it's really unclear to me what what they are doing as he's walking through their land like this is all gonna be mine this is great i feel like this is very much like white people to the indians like he just came in and was like well my stick's here now so it's my land yes exactly it's very colonial it's manifest destiny basically yeah and it's a great example of how later European colonial powers are reading the Bible and being like, look at the shit Abraham did. This would be great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my name's Abraham, so I must be <laughs> yeah. able to do this. Right. Yeah, exactly. that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. So while they're there, there's a huge famine in the land of Canaan. So Abram, Sarai, and Lot, they go south into Egypt. And Egypt, as I said in previous episodes, it has really fertile land because the Nile floods really consistently. So apparently they are not impacted by this, uh, by this famine. Fun fact, that's because of monsoon rains in the tropical parts of Africa that then flow down the Nile. Hmm. Geography lesson. Yeah. I'm Welcome. 
So yes. holy geography <laughs> hosted by Mike. Anyway, so Egypt is also just like a fucking rich place. They have tons of gold and shit. I would note here that Abram is a refugee who is driven out by famine into a wealthier country. So I think this may be our first example of treat refugees nicely. Nice. Mm -hmm. So when they get to Egypt, Abram says to Sarai that she's too sexy and people are going to kill him so they can marry her. And he's trying to not die up in this bitch. Tara and I have been there. (laughs) (laughs) So they tell everyone that Sarai is Abram's sister so that no one will try to kill Abram. The Pharaoh's servants, they notice how hot Sarai is, and they take her to Pharaoh's harem. As one does. As one does. Like, hey, you're sexy. I bet my king would want to fuck you. Again, Tara and I have been there. (laughs) This is like every VIP section at a club. you, sexy, come over here to the (laughs) VIP section and shake your stuff over here. That's right. And... And Heather and I were like, okay. All right. Oh, my God. (laughs) Free drinks? Okay. Okay. Well, and like you notice, I'm sure that this is familiar to you guys as well. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Sarai's status is reflected here. She's hot, so they take her to Pharaoh. Like, they don't just, they're not just like, hey, you're hot. Like, I'm going to take you as a slave or I'm going to marry you or anything like that. They're like, the king, you're so fucking hot. And whatever is going on here, it's bougie. And the king is going to love it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, been there. Again. <laughs> Don't know how many times we have to say it. <laughs> yeah. Been there. Why you guys aren't understanding how fucking sexy Heather <laughs> and I are. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we tell you how to unlock your Mesopotamian priestess. <laughs> Tara. <laughs> Tara. Abram, so they they take Sarai to to Pharaoh, and Abram makes out great from this arrangement because he ends up they give him a bunch of livestock and slaves, and this is probably like if we're talking really really ancient history, money probably wasn't invented yet, and so this is wealth. Like he is becoming extremely wealthy, and it seems based on Sarai's status, based on kind of the way that he's talked about earlier, that he was already kind of rich. So we're just like amplifying wealth now. And um, it's possible that they were giving him things as payment for his sister, but that isn't really explicitly stated. But so among the slaves that the Egyptians give to Abram is a woman named Hagar. Remember her, because she's going to come back later. Like Hagrid? I I was just going to say, you know where my mind just went to, Tara. (laughs) Went straight to Harry Potter, Hagrid. (laughs) Yep. The slave woman is named Hagar. She is with them from now on, and she's going to be important later. Okay. But so God is looking down at this, and he's like, okay, Abram just like pimped out his wife for, I guess, like a voluntary cucking, and this is fucking weird. So he sends a plague of disease onto Pharaoh and his household. He punishes the Pharaoh? I know, right? We'll talk about that in just a second, but let me... let me. Pharaoh didn't know he was doing anything wrong. I know, right? But so then it's implied that Pharaoh finds out that Sarai is Abram's wife. The Bible doesn't actually have the incident where he finds out. It doesn't even say that he like asked somebody who found out. But Pharaoh summons Abram and is like, what the fuck are you doing to me? Why didn't you tell me this is your wife? Now your God is mad at me. Get out of here. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's super weird, right? Because Abram lies to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh is the one who gets punished. Yeah. So in in my opinion, and I didn't delve super deep into the like moral ramifications of this particular episode, but it seems to me that Abram lying is bad, but Pharaoh fucking his wife is worse. And so God's like, what Abram did wasn't great, but what Pharaoh was doing is worse. And so that's why Pharaoh gets the punishment. It's also possible that God just liked Abram better than Pharaoh. And he was like, I don't like what's going on here, but I'm obviously not going to punish my sweet baby angel Abram. So I guess Pharaoh is the one who gets it. Hmm. This is very like youngest child gain away with stuff where the oldest kid gets like the shit into the stick. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I feel for you, Pharaoh. Yeah, the poor guy. Well, and again, like it, the injustice is so strange. But I guess in the conceptualization, this kind of goes to what I say all the time about the polytheism becoming monotheism. If you are used to having tons of gods, and so it's okay if the gods play favorites, because one god's least favorite is another god's favorite, and you can kind of have shifting allegiances and blah, blah, blah. The Iliad is a great example of that. So maybe the readers of this story were like, listen, if Yahweh hates Pharaoh, that's fine. Some other God probably likes him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. In any case, they pack up their shit. They head back to Canaan. They're like, the famine's probably over. It's fine. We'll go home. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Pharaoh's like, I don't want to fuck your wife anymore. And he's like, okay, let's go home. Yeah. Famine's probably better than this land. Yeah. Right. So they go back to Canaan and they're especially wealthy now. They have all this livestock and um, Abram's herds and Lot's herds don't have enough space to graze. So their herders keep having all this like weird conflict. And Abram's like, we're family. We are family. You and me. We're together. (laughs) Let's not fight. We must not bicker among ourselves. They say, let's just let's just split up. This is all I've ever wanted in my life is for you to do with that voice. <laughs> we made it ten episodes and you haven't given that to me yet. You were saving it. I honestly may never speak to you again. <laughs> the fact that you held out this long. We're family. We're family. We're saving it for you, Tara. I know. This is the gift <laughs> of all gifts. They decide to split up so that they so that there will not be conflict among the family. So Lot goes to Jordan and Abram stays in Canaan and uh Lot pitches his tent by Sodom, which will be a thing again in, more importantly in part two. We're gonna talk about that. Mm. This is when God tells Abram that Abram will have more offspring than dust, as in particles of dust. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. This is where I bring up that I do actually have a cult song for this story. And it actually, it hurt the productivity of my research because I would start to read about Abraham and then the song would get stuck in my head and then I would have to stop because it was just so fucking annoying. (laughs) So I actually had several iterations of like, let's dive into research. And then I'd start to do it and I'm like, fuck this, fuck this song. (laughs) But, um... It, we used to sing it in Sunday school, and it goes, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were you. 
So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, and then you go right arm, and then you sing the whole thing again and go left arm, and then it's right foot, left foot, turn around, Father Abraham, and you're like dancing as you're doing it, but you have to sing the song five fucking times. Like, I cannot believe that my parents never murdered us. I mean, I, 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 why and how? Like, I don't know who wrote that song. I assume it was a demon. But, like, what was the point of it? Um, to talk about how Father Abraham had many sons. Were you not listening? <laughs> but, like, do, what... do you need him to sing you the song again? But <laughs> Because Abraham is the ancestor of the religion that eventually becomes Judeo-Christianity. And so you need to remember that he had many sons and that we're all descended from Abraham. So the area where Lot lives by Sodom is dominated by the king of Elam. Okay. So Elam was a, a major power in Iran in the ancient world. So the king of Elam is, and I had to look this pronunciation up, Kedorleomer. And Kedorleomer, Leomer, wow, fuck, it's so hard to say. Kedorleomer is apparently like not a satisfactory king because Sodom and Gomorrah both rebel against him. And so then, because they start the rebellion, a bunch of other kings join in. So it's four kings versus five kings, I think. And all the kings choose sides, and it's like a great big deal. There are a ton of historical attempts to identify the kings in question, but like we're not gonna we're not gonna bother with that. Anyway, Sodom and Gomorrah and their kind of coalition they lose against King Kedorlaomer, and Lot who again, live near Sodom, is captured. The Elamites come in, they loot the city of Sodom, and Lot is captured. No one knows if this, like, actually happened. It's, like, possible that this is just a legend. But a man escapes from the Elamites, and he immediately runs to Abram to tell him that Lot was captured, because Lot's his nephew. And so Abram immediately gets 318 men. It's a very specific number. I was going to say, dang. Yeah. And honestly, like, it's not that many. I I, I mean, ancient warfare, the numbers were probably pretty small, but surely Kederleomer has more than 300 people in his army, but whatever. Uh, but so they ambush the Elamite force. They flank him in the night. They take Lot back and they get all the other prisoners and possessions and they kill Kederleomer. When they get back, Abram is greeted by the king of Jerusalem, who is also a priest, and he blesses Abram. Abram gives him one-tenth of all the shit that they got back from the Elamites. And then the king of Sodom is like, you know what? Just keep the loot, take everything, but give me the people back because I obviously want everyone who was in Sodom. Uh, I want them to come back to me. And Abram refuses because he doesn't want to accept any wealth from this shitty guy. <laughs> He's like, I don't want you to tell people that you made me rich. You can have all of the all of the people back. You can have all of the money. The only thing I ask is that you pay to feed my people because they're hungry. Okay. So we see like this weird kind of rebellion, kind of evil empire situation where um, there's a, an empire that's dominating this land. And then when the rebels get beat, Abram has to kind of swoop in and save them. But then he gets to be the righteous one who's like, you may be a shitbag, but I love my nephew. Like, just leave me. Okay. Yeah, and so this is one of those kind of episodes from Abram's life that makes me feel like there's a lot going on that the Bible doesn't talk about. Again, he's like pretty wealthy, but this makes it seem like he is like 
a small state military capacity. Yeah, and like they would take on like the big states and be like, listen here. Yeah. I want to be heard. Yeah, I'm going to wage like a small guerrilla war and kill the king. It's also interesting that the Elamites don't seem to like give him any retribution. Like he murders their king and the Elamites never come back. Like, by the way, we have a vendetta against you now. Maybe he's like El Chapo. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. We don't know. And so like people respect him because it's like, Hmm. well, I mean, he's done a lot. You know that Abram. He'll leave a horse head in your bed. Right. Very well. And like dig a whole like underground passage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. possible. You never know. You never know. Then God, that the, in the beginning of the next chapter, God comes to Abraham and he tells him in a vision that he will protect him, basically. And Abraham kind of starts to fetch that he doesn't have any kids. And that's like such a bummer because like, remember, God made that whole dust promise. Like, what are we fucking doing? It turns out that because Abram doesn't have any kids, one of his slaves is going to inherit all of his shit. Oh, no, not on this watch. How does that happen? Right? And I mean, I kind of interpret that as, you know, ancient slavery was different from our conceptualization of American slavery because, you know, slaves actually kind of had occasional status in in things, but whatever. Uh, But so God tells him not to worry. He says that he'll have a son. Remember, daughters are worthless because women apparently aren't of very much use in the society in spite of doing all of the birthing and whatever. And being hot. And being hot (laughs) and seducing that pharaoh mama. You think that pyramid's going to raise itself. Oh, honey. But so God tells him not to worry. He says he'll have a son. He says, in fact, his descendants will outnumber the stars. Wow. And so here we are again. We we have another great big promise of descendants for this like ancient ass man. And Abram's like, how the hell am I going to take over the promised land if I don't have any kids yet? And God's like, trust me. And he tells him to sacrifice a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abram does all of that. And then he cuts all of them in half, except for the birds. Shit. What does he do to the birds? I think he just sacrifices them and then lets them lets them sit. Gotcha. But so he keeps the birds of prey away, which is what God wants, right? Because they're God sacrifices. They're not for the birds of prey. But then after he's, you know, kept the birds of prey away, Abram falls asleep. Mm-hmm. And so God does not appreciate that Abram fell asleep in the middle of the like whole thing that we were doing here. Abram's tired from all the sacrificing. I know, right? Cutting a heifer in half like is not easy. Not right. easy. It takes a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And if he had sons, God, maybe he would... He could delegate the heifer cutting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, he's an old man. Old man. In his 70s. I was going to say, he has to be in, like, his hundreds by now. Surely he's, like, taken over some states and killed some people and sacrificed some shit. He has to have aged a little bit. I actually think he's in his 80s by this episode-ish. Oh, my goodness. Well, and it's worth mentioning, too, I mean, I I mentioned in the Noah episode that the ages slowly kind of start to shrink. So Noah lives to be, I think, 900. Abram is nine generations removed from Noah, but Noah only dies either right before Abram is born or like right after Abram is born. Whoa. According to the biblical timeline. Right. 
it's kind of unclear. Like people always talk about, well, it says in the Bible that Abram was 75, blah, blah, when he, you know, went to Canaan or whatever. And I'm always like, but this is the transition period between really, really long lives and like normal human lives. So 75 might not be as old as Mm -hmm. we're talking, even though it probably is still kind of old. Like we just don't have a very good frame of reference. It's like the new 40. Yeah. 75 is the new 40. Listen, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so God does not appreciate that Abram fell asleep. So he says that Abram's descendants will be enslaved in a foreign land for 400 years. And that's the end of the story is just that God was trying to like move this whole covenant thing forward with Abram. He was like, if you make all these sacrifices, like we can go back to that kid question, like let's fucking rage. And then Abraham falls asleep and God's like, Ugh, you know what? 400 years of captivity for your descendants. Damn it, Abraham. That's the Exodus. That's the story of Moses is the end of the 400 years of captivity with Egypt. All because Abraham couldn't stay awake. Right? Oh my God. That's why Moses has to free his people. Because Abraham took a nap. I know. Isn't that a bummer? I'm going to think about that every time I nap. I'm going to be like, listen, generations of people could be fucked (laughs) because of this nap. Yeah. Still taking it. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> well, and listen, I think the real moral of the story is if God asks you to do something, don't nap. You know what I mean? Like You need to be all in. But he did it. But he he was like, you need to make all of these sacrifices. And then Abram did all of that and then afterward took a nap. And you know, I don't make the rules, God does. But he was done. That's what I'm saying. He was done. He had cut the heifers. He'd cut the everything but some bird. A ram and whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. Who do we who's who's God God's manager? Like obviously he made some poor choices here. Who do we talk to? Uh right. I saw a cartoon, maybe I'll put it in the Facebook group, of him cutting some animals in half and I didn't understand what that was in reference to. And so I was like, boring. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. So I don't care. Yeah. I was like, therefore it's not of importance. Yep. Maybe I'll find it and put it on the Facebook group. Boom. I love it. So then we get into this next one makes me particularly uncomfortable. Mm, Fantastic. I'm sure we'll love it. So Sarai is like, she, I think she's around Abram's age. I can't remember exactly. But she says, you know, I clearly can't have kids. That's not in the cards for me. And like, whatever. That's probably the Lord's plan. So she tells Abram to fuck her handmaid, Hagar, so they can build a family. Oh, Hagar's mm-hmm. back. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. She was given as a gift, right? Yeah, from the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And she is, she's Sarai's handmaid. Yeah. And so this is technically not the part of the Bible that is the precedent for The Handmaid's Tale, but it's uh, it's almost the exact same situation. Oh. Hmm. Okay. So this is, it's interesting. Remember how I was talking about how these are oral traditions that were passed down for hundreds of years? There are a few incidents like this in the Bible and kind of in the other kind of associated texts where these details just kind of get duplicated. And on the one hand, it's possible that some of them were duplicated on purpose where, you know, for example, we talked about in the Simon Peter episode, when Jesus walks on water, he calms the sea. 
And that looks like a parallel to God calming the waters in Genesis so that he can create the world. So like some of that might just be intentional where it's, you know, this was how Abraham and Sarah did it. So we're going to bring back that, that detail of the story later, because we know that that's a good thing to do. It's possible that that was just common practice. And so people did it all the fucking time, but it's also possible that people were mixing up their stories and then eventually it just kind of got pulled into another story and it's an oral tradition. So no one's writing down and comparing. Hmm. The whole thing is so creepy. I just... That he has sex with the handmaid? Yeah, because like you have to remember that Hagar is an Egyptian-born slave. So not only is she a non-free person, she's also a foreigner. And they are kind of aristocratic, it seems. So she is beneath them in pretty much every single metric. So she has basically no say in this. And it seems that she is... It's not just that she is not consenting... It's that she seems to have no ability to consent because the power differential and the situation is so, like, fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah, so she had no choice. I mean, she just had no say. She's, I'm property. Yeah. And, like, to me, it's very important because it's not the, it's not this idea of, well, we used a surrogate to give birth. It's, like, rapey and controlling. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you are our property and we will, you know beat you or murder you or sell you or you know do something Mm -hmm. horrible to you unless you comply you have to comply and so it's just it's so fucked it's also interesting that god keeps making these huge grandiose promises to abram and sarai who we know is the infertile one because the bible explicitly said so so there's no possibility here that abram is shooting blanks Mm -hmm. But she is literally the main obstacle to this great legacy with millions of descendants. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's purely the fact that Sarai's uterus sucks. And God couldn't fix that. I know. Right. So, you know, it's it's this real weird kind of situation where and again, we're talking about a woman who is meant to be a strong woman within the framework of the patriarchy. Sarai is infertile. And man, isn't it just so terrible that this, you know, infertile bitch can't fucking have a baby. Isn't that such a bummer for all of God's plans? But then she finds someone who can have Abram's babies. So she puts up this young woman who doesn't have any control over her own circumstances, which is like, again, very rapey and controlling. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this way that the woman works within the patriarchy in order to enable her man better which I find super fucked up. Oh, yeah. The, the last thing that I'll say about this is that apparently there is a precedent in Near Eastern marriage contracts that if a woman doesn't have a baby after X number of years, uh, using a slave to deliver a baby would be allowed. So it's possible that this was kind of common legal practice. And, and so they're just doing what people do. In my mind, that still doesn't really make it better because it's still super rapey and controlling. But there you go. This is the part where we do the art review. There it is. Got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were, again, not what I expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's Sarah, like, offering yeah, Hagar. That's Sarah, yeah, yeah, offering Hagar to, to Abram. And Abram is kind of nonplussed. He's, like, this wrinkled old man. And he's kind of got his hand out, like, what? 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 Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. And Sarai is sitting there. She looks really, 
I don't even know how to describe her expression. It's kind of blank and kind of resolute. Like, here you go. (laughs) Yes, exactly. She has one hand up like she's like, here you go. And then her other hand is kind of leading Hager's forearm to Abram. But like my favorite part of all of this is not even that Hager has a titty out to emphasize how like young and sexy and fertile she is. Her it's face. that her, her face is yeah. so like look at his fucking wrinkled ball sack uh-huh. face. Like yeah. I'm supposed to copulate with this. Mm-hmm. You wanna know what I initially reacted to this? How fucking whitewashed this picture is. Oh yeah, it's by a European. She's supposed to be oh, an yeah. Egyptian, like mm-hmm. sexy god like mm-hmm. babe. And she's coming in looking like girl with the pearl earring, like Scarlett Johansson. Exactly, yes. Like, as milk white as you can get. Blonde hair, I, like, no. I mean, this this was a painting by Matthias Stom, I think is his name. Uh, he's a Dutch painter. Right. So it makes sense. Like, it's a European, so everything is whitewashed. Oh, yeah. No, totally makes sense. But then he's like, hey... I was sleeping. What's she doing here? And Sarai's like, well, babe, this is your new babe. <laughs> but And Hagar just really wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, all of this is disgusting. You'll notice one of her arms is holding the garment around herself. Mm-hmm. Almost like they ripped it off to like be like, look at how yeah. young she is. Yeah, Her boobs still point northward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah was like, you need to show at least one titty. Yeah. Oh my god, her nipple is like in the garment. Like it's pointing yeah. like... Yeah. It's yeah. also a perfect sphere. It looks like she wrapped an orange perfect. in like yeah. cloth. Yeah, so like that's a bad boob job. Oh, sweetie. It's alright. It's alright. It's you've got You've got those thick cheeks. Mm-hmm. You got that um, nice uterine lining. I don't know. She's got that wet ass pussy. Mm-hmm. That's all you Listen. need. She needs a hard hitter. She needs a deep stroke. She needs a henny drink. She needs a weed smoke and not a goddess snake. She needs a king cobra with a hook in it. Hope it leans over. You know? Oh, oh my clutching my pearls here. Yes, I understand. Um but now I need to know. So did they have a baby? Yeah, so that's that's our art review. Hey Hager does get pregnant. Good for them. Mazel. And when she's pregnant, she starts to resent Sarai a little bit, which like fucking obviously she's like, who are you to own me? I'm the one who has the future with your man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so Sarai goes to Abram and says, this is your fault. You knocked her up and now she hates me. And Abram is like, she's your slave. Do what you want with her. Yeah. Which is kind of weird too because we went through this whole exercise because the pregnancy was so important and now he's like whatever man just like do whatever Mm -hmm. but it also is deferring to sarai's authority because it seems that sarai's pride is in some way wounded because hager is the one who is pregnant and so you know abram is saying well i know that your pride is wounded just kind of do whatever will make you happy like he's deferring to her you know what i mean interesting all the women run the house i guess Yeah, yeah. Well, and he's not wrong. Like, she is her handmaid. So Sarai abuses Hager, and Hager runs away. This also kind of feeds into the Sarai as a priestess narrative, because do you remember Hammurabi's code from sixth grade? From sixth grade? I'm sorry, what? That's when we talked about it. No. Okay, well, 
he was this ancient Babylonian king. He wrote a legal system in cuneiform, and it was like one of the first legal systems. It was like a very big deal when it was discovered. But in Hammurabi's code, there's a bit that says, if a man is ma- has married a priestess of a certain rank, and she is given a slave girl to her husband, and she bears sons, which is this exact situation, if thereafter that slave girl goes about making herself equal to her mistress because she had born sons, her mistress may not sell her. She may put the mark of a slave on her and counter with the slave girls. If she's not born sons, her mistress may sell her, but that's not the situation. But so putting the mark of the slave on her could mean just like abuse. Like you can beat the fuck out of your slave if she's trying to get uppity because she's had your husband's sons. But if this is the legal way that this is happening, then that means that Sarai is a priestess or a person of high rank. Okay. Interesting. But, you know, God has plans for this baby. Like, that was the whole reason why they did the weird situation to begin with. And so the angel of the Lord finds Hagar and tells her to go back to Sarai. Which, like, I'm sorry, can we pause this yet again? God being fucking weird and abusive? She literally just beat the shit out of her. While pregnant. And God's like, ooh, you need to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, maybe she'll change. Like, excuse me? She's sorry. She'll never do it again. Yeah. You know how she gets. Mm-hmm. You're making me be like this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much that she can do whatever she wants to do. You're a slave. We both know it. There's no use fighting that. And um, I got bigger plans for you than your personal, like, health, well-being, and safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, again, I think that this is explanatory for a lot of zealotry that you see later the people who really look at the Old Testament more than the New Testament would say, you know, like, it's too bad that your husband, the king, the noble, or even the farmer who is richer than you are because women aren't allowed to have any wealth. Like, I'm sorry that he abuses you, but God probably has a plan for this. Like, look at the Bible. So the angel says that the baby will be named Ishmael and that he'll be like a wild donkey. He'll live in conflict with everyone in his life. Well, that sounds fun. Right? What a great so, prophecy. <laughs> I know. Like, I would not be happy to hear that. If, if an angel, like, if I were a pregnant woman, <laughs> a role that in which I envision myself a lot of the time, <laughs> and my owner had abused me because I was a slave, and then I ran away, and an angel was like, you need to go back into the abusive situation, and your baby is going to grow up to be like a wild donkey and fight with everyone. I'd be like, I'm actually going to, like... Yeah. I'm actually gonna, gonna keep moving. <laughs> yeah, bye. Yeah. Uh, she does go back. Ishmael, whose name means God hears, is born when Abram is 86. Holy shit. So we started this when he was, what, 75? Mm-hmm. So only 11 years have passed. Yeah. And all this shit's happened? Yeah. Wow. I mean, what have I done with myself? In the past 11 years. I was going to say, what have you done, Tara? Okay, 11 years ago was 2009. Oh, the Obama administration. I had just gotten engaged. So, like, literally, I was at the start of my life as, like, a nailed-down woman. Mm-hmm. Nailed-down was a real choice of words. <laughs> it really was. Oh, well, stick with it. Anyway, well, good for him. Good for him for living such a lofty life. Yeah, and now he has a son, which is what he always wanted. Always wanted. 
when Abram is 99, God pops up again and is like, it's covenant time, bitch. I love some of the interchanges with God and Abraham are just like fucking hilarious because like um, at, at one point God cries out to Abraham and says, Abraham. And then Abraham is like, yes, Lord. And I just fucking picture it like God popping out of nowhere and being like, Abraham. And then Abraham like bolting upright and be like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, they, they have a funny rapport together, don't they? Like before, before we kind of do this with the covenant, like we have seen a lot of interchanges with Abram and God at this point. It really seems like they, I mean, they're certainly not equals, obviously, but they have a rapport with each other. They talk very freely with each other and there is a real like back and forth. It's not just that God kind of pops down points and is like, Abraham, go do such and such. And he's like, yes, sir. Right away, sir. Blah, blah, blah. They go back and forth where God repeatedly comes to Abraham and Abraham keeps being like, you know, God, I'm really worried about this kid thing. And God's like, oh, my child, it'll be all right. Like, I'll sort you right out. Blah, blah, blah. But do these 10 tasks first. Yeah. Right. Go do your chores. (laughs) Do your chores. Yes, absolutely. But in any case, there is a dialogue, right? It's not um, it's not a one-way relationship. And so that shows how much God loves Abraham. And it's this kind of optimal relationship that people can have with God. You know what I mean? Where God is with you. He comes to you like repeatedly to talk to you, to guide you through your life, to talk to you about your future. Not like the burning bush God that we'll get later where he's like, for your people and then like leaves. Yeah, exactly. Or like Noah, he popped down and he's like, listen, my baby, you seem okay, but everyone else is fucking garbage. I'm going to blow all this shit up. Instead, you know, he's like, he's like a good financial advisor where Abram's like, what stock portfolio should I choose? And God's like, oh, my child, do not do the housing market. You know? Yeah. Google. Always Google. (laughs) So anyway, but so this is kind of the culmination of their big relationship that they've cultivated thus far Mm -hmm. they're buds yeah they're buds so abram is 99 so ishmael is 13 and god pops up and is like covenant time (laughs) so god says to abram that he will now be known as abraham so abram means exalted father and abraham means father of many so we're, we're going from just kind of a normal conventional name Abram is very similar to the name Cleopatra, actually. Okay, was not going to see that coming. Yeah, I know. I I mean, I I didn't even think about this until yesterday, but like Kleos is the Greek word for honor, and Patra, of course, refers to the father. So Cleopatra means honor of the father. And um, Patroclus, which is Achilles' lover's name in the Iliad, is the opposite. Instead of Cleopatra, it's Patrocles. So, you know, it seems that these were kind of conventional names to be like, your father is honored, your father is exalted, like blah, blah, blah. And so Abram is just like a run of the mill name is what I'm saying. And it seems to fit with other themes in terms of society in the ancient world. So Abraham is like really a swing from that. You know what I mean? And it underscores that whole, you're fucking having kids now, you know? Mm -hmm. Abraham will be the father of many nations, the ancestor of kings. God says that this is an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and he promises Canaan to them. So whenever you hear promised land going forward, we're talking about Canaan 
Canaan referring to Israel. Okay. And note too that it's an everlasting covenant. It's with all of Abraham's descendants. We're talking about the the people who are descended from Abraham are traditionally understood to be the Jewish people. This means that there is an ethnic connection to the land and to God. Being genetically Jewish has an impact on, you know, your your connection to to this religion and this tradition. Obviously, the later interpretations with Islam and Christianity kind of branch out from that. Actually, uh, remember how I said that one of Abraham's descendants is traditionally understood to be the ancestor of the Arabians? Well, that that person is Ishmael. And so the fact that the Arabians come up later when they have the Muslim conquests right after Muhammad dies, that's kind of understood to be them fighting with everyone in the way that the angel told Hagar that Ishmael would fight with everyone. But so anyway, according to this covenant, so God says, you know, you're going to be the ancestor of Kings. You're going to have a fuck ton of descendants. Canaan is yours. We already measured for furniture. It'll be great. Also, every male has to be circumcised on their eighth day of life. Uncircumcised men break the covenant and they have to be cut out of the community. Dang. Yeah. Also, Sarai is Sarah now. So same time that Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, and she will bear a son. So she's included in this too. She gets to be, you know, joined onto the covenant. At like 100 years old? She's 90. Abram is almost 100. So this is like crazy, right? Because they're so old. Mm -hmm. But again, like, eh, who knows? So Sarah's son will be called Isaac, which means he laughs. He laughs? Yeah, it's a thing. Well, uh uh-oh. Well, so does Sarah's son become the main son and is Ishmael, because he's the son of a slave, but... I'm going to leave you in suspense. Okay. We'll talk about that more in part two. Oh my God, I hope they fight. I love it when brothers fight in the Bible. It's just so, yes. Epic. Brother v. Brother. The showdown. In the land of... Canaan. In the land of Canaan, circa 2000 BCE. The dad was a (laughs) hundred. When your father is a century old. Anyway. Anyway, so Sarah's son will be Isaac, but Ishmael isn't going to be cut out. So don't worry about Ishmael. God specifically blesses Ishmael to include him. God says that he'll be the father of 12 rulers who will make a great nation too. Ishmael is blessed. He is like a a good person. We wish him really well, but the covenant is with Isaac. Okay. I like want to take another moment to point out how like ramshackle this family is. Like, you know how it's kind of a, like the conservative talking point with family is a family is one father, one mother, and 2.5 children of, you know, mixed genders. And, you know, no one is gay. They're preferably white, you know, all of those kind of Reagan ridiculousness things. But, and and the liberal perspective of that is always like, well, there's no wrong way to make a family. Sometimes a family is two moms and four neighbors and, you know, like random kind of permutations of things. I think it's interesting that this is one of the most important families in all of the Abrahamic religions. And it's like real higgledy-piggledy, man. It's these two elders, their slave, and then two half-brothers with varying amounts of connection with God. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's super non-traditional. 
And yet we're talking about the stories that people always hearken to when they're like, look at the traditions that we should be using as the prototype for our society. Yeah. Good point. But yet looky here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So then Abram, now Abraham is circumcised at age 99. Ishmael is circumcised at 13 and everyone else in the household, which means all the slaves too, all of them are circumcised. Oh, damn. And that's the covenant of circumcision. And so that establishes the long, the tradition of the bris. Like it goes all the way back to Abraham, according to this tradition. Yeah. Well, we all know that circumcision is freaky and controversial and people have very wide opinions about it. Mm -hmm. So that is actually where I'm going to leave off this time. What? That's all we're getting at? That's all we're going to do. I wanted to split Abraham in half because I think that it would be like a two, two and a half hour episode if I try to do it all together. Mm -hmm. So I figure two slightly shorter episodes are going to be preferable to that. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Yeah, I think it's probably smart. Yeah. Okay, so where we're leaving off. So we're in canon and we were promised that Sarah, Sarai, now Sarah, is going to have a baby. She had that baby named Isaac. There's an Ishmael and a Hager still floating around somewhere. Ishmael is 13. 13. And then we, oh, we had to circumcise everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, Ishmael and Hagar are with Abraham and Sarah. Okay. They're still around. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're just like one little family. Yeah. Yeah. We're a unit. We're, we're living together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I have one more question about Sarah before we get off this though. Okay. So if they were in Egypt, it had only been 11 years, all that went down. They just got married. Then she was like in her 80s when this whole story started out. But he was like, I'm going to have a bunch of babies. Like, why did he not choose a young wife? It seems that she is about 10 years younger than him. I think that they, it doesn't actually say exactly when they got married. Okay. My understanding is that they probably got married, you know, when she was 15 and he was 25 or something. But we know that she was infertile. So it sounds like they got married, they were like trying and nothing ever happened. And then they just like figured that it would be fine or figured that they didn't have any other options or something. Mm-hmm. It, it raises a bunch of questions for me about having possible polygamy, which was quite common, it seems to me, or, you know, using slaves at an earlier time instead of waiting till you're so old. But again, we don't actually know that that was literally so old for the story because Noah had just died at 900, you know. So there are lots of very squishy parts of the details of the story. Yeah. Okay, as long as everyone else was on board with the squishy details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's Abraham part one. Thank you so much for listening. And next time we are going to wrap up Abraham with part two. And we should probably think of a funny punny name for that one. I'm on it. Okay, cool. Great. I'm I'm trying to crowdsource these because I'm running out of my creativity. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thank you for listening. And bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So our bonus segment this time is about Nimrod. Yes. Okay. Hit me with it. Yep, I'm ready. Cannot wait. So Nimrod is... So do you remember the Tower of Babel story 
do I ever. People go to Shinar, and Shinar is the Hebrew word for Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. So Nimrod is the king of Shinar. He's the king of something in Mesopotamia. Okay. So in theory, that could make him the king in the Tower of Babel story. But like that's super speculative. He is known as a mighty warrior. Uh, he's generally kind of against God, but he seems to be really capable in his own right. And again, he's a king, like he's not some fuck around person. His reputation as a mighty hunter is the origin of the word Nimrod as we know it, because Bugs Bunny calls Elmer Fudd a Nimrod to make fun of him. He's like, oh, you're such a great hunter. Ha ha, you're a real Nimrod. But there were no Bible podcasts when Looney Tunes was first taking off in the 1930s. And so some people missed the reference. And instead, Nimrod became a synonym for an idiot. Well, that's why I'm giggling and snickering when you're saying Nimrod. (laughs) Exactly. Like, it's funny. It is. It's funny. Where I'm like, this sounds like a good dude. (laughs) I mean, he was quite against Yahweh, to be clear. Ugh, then you're off my list, Nimrod. (laughs) Fucking Nimrod. You deserve to have Bugs Bunny ruin your reputation. (laughs) But so actually, so Nimrod is an archetypal pagan king, the kind who rejects God and is just like generally a tyrannical asshole. There are lots of people like this in the Bible, but there's a specific story in Judaism that says that Nimrod's astrologers foretold that this monotheist would come and put an end to idolatry. So he has all the newborn babies killed. Damn. And then apparently Abraham's mother manages to hide and give birth to him. So apparently in this story, Abraham knows God from a really young age and like kind of has this beginning discourse with him, starts to worship him. And so there's a confrontation between Nimrod and Abraham where uh, Abraham, you know, tells Nimrod to knock it off with all the idolatry, and Nimrod tries to have Abraham burned alive. They try to make, like, the biggest bonfire that anyone had ever seen, but Abraham just walks out of the fire totally unburnt. Like the mother of dragons. Exactly like the mother of dragons. Mm-hmm. He's Abneris. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's the Mother of multitudes, she's the mother of dragons. We might as well just put them together. Might as well. But so then uh, Nimrod tries to attack Abraham with an army, but Abraham destroys it with gnats. Or in some versions, a mosquito flies into Nimrod's ear and drives him insane. And sometimes Nimrod gives up and just like gifts Abraham with a slave or makes sacrifices to God or, you know, just kind of generally quits. And sometimes he keeps on with the idolatry and this is one of the theories why if, if Abraham confronted Nimrod and then Nimrod drove the family out of Ur, that would make sense to why this story got started, right? That's the, that would be the explanation for them leaving. Yeah. But this is like, I do think that the story is super interesting of Nimrod kind of, he, he's such a hardcore polytheist that he's trying to persecute Abraham because... I mentioned before that there's this kind of recurring detail that a a wife is infertile and so she gives a handmaid to her husband so that the husband can have babies. There are two details in this Nimrod story that are kind of similarly common. So the first one is that all the newborns are slaughtered. 
That's a thing that happens in the Moses story. You may remember from the Prince of Egypt Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when Moses finds that wall carving and he's like, father, did you do this? And the gators are eating the babies. Um, And then there's also the bit where Abraham walks out of fire. That's just like in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the fiery furnace. Try saying all three of those names very quickly. Never. That's why I just sat here in silence. I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) what you said. said. (laughs) And, you know, this Nimrod stuff is not actually in the Bible. This is apocryphal tradition, but it's a perfect example of how the oral traditions either swap details or kind of reuse details to really give their story some oomph. And so I think that it's very instructive in addition to being just like a great Bugs Bunny reference, you know, amazing. honestly, we need more of. Yeah. We would have a podcast about Bugs Bunny, but there's just too much material. We'd never get through it all. We'd never get through it all. So we just picked the longest book in history. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the longest book in history, I believe, is Super Smash Bros. fan fiction. <laughs> that is not a joke. That was a real thing. I think a couple of years ago, that was the record. It was like the longest continuous work in the English language. And it was some preposterous, it was like 5,000 pages or, you know, some ridiculously long thing. The longest book in English is Marion Bad, My Love by Mark Leach. Hmm. And it has 2.5 million books. 2.5 million. Words. Sorry. Words. Oh, I'm like, what? I'm like, that's too many. I don't <laughs> yeah. think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. It got, it is now second because the Blah story by Nigel Tom surpassed it Mm. with 3,277,000 words. Whoa. I'm never going to read those books. Nope. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. How many, um, how many words did you say there was? 3,277,000 227 words the fan fiction that i was referring to it has 4,102,217 words okay so but it's fan fiction it's not a proper book that's why it's not counted with more than 220 chapters i know oh my god i'm getting this for clay for christmas (laughs) does he feel strongly about that video game or do you just hate him (laughs) no you feel strongly about the video game that's sad (laughs) (laughs) all right so that was our bonus episode folks bonus segment i think that that wraps us up and abraham part two coming to a podcast near you bonus segment ended bye-bye bye-bye bye-bye